Welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast, where we talk all about the coziest of book genres, the cozy mystery. I'm your host, Christy Meyer, and I'll be bringing you author interviews and keeping you up to date on all the hottest cozy mystery releases. We'll be diving into the latest episode after these quick messages, so grab yourself a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. If you want to help support the podcast, be sure to join our Patreon. We have different tiers to choose from to get weekly exclusive episodes, membership in our book club, and podcast merch. You can even choose the coziest supporter tier and receive a monthly Get Cozy book box, which includes one paperback copy of your choice from a selection of books by Get Cozy podcast guest authors. To join, visit patreon.com slash getcozypodcast. And if you want to donate to the show on a one-time or recurring basis, you can do that via Venmo at GetCozyPod. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on the platform you're using right now and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for your support. You listeners are the heart of the show and I couldn't do any of it without you. Hi, hello, my cozy friends. Welcome back to Get Cozy Podcast. To say that I'm excited about today's episode would be a massive understatement. We're going to be talking with the author of one of my very favorite cozy mystery series, Lee Perry. Lee is the author of the the Family Skeleton Mysteries, Under the name Tony L.P. Kellner, she's published over 11 novels, 20-something short stories, and co-edited six urban fantasy anthologies with New York Times bestselling author Charlene Harris. She also happens to have created my favorite character in all of fiction, and it's just such a tremendous honor to have her on the show today. Welcome, Lee. Oh, gosh, thank you so much. I'm sitting here blushing. (laughs) Well, it's totally my pleasure to have you on the show today. The Family Skeleton Mysteries just means so much to me personally. These books were such a bright spot for me when I was going through some hard things, and I just gush about these books to absolutely everyone I know. So do you want to kick off the conversation today by telling us what the series is all about? Well, it's a cozy series about an adjunct English professor named Georgia Thackeray. She's a single mother, um, and she's moved back to her hometown. Uh, She's kind of house-sitting for her parents, and once she moves back there with her her teenage daughter, she has to deal with the family skeleton, which is a skeleton. (laughs) Literally, his name is Sid, and he walks, and he talks, and he tells bad bone jokes, and together they solve crime. This series is just so much fun. The writing is wonderful, it's witty, and I think one of the greatest things about cozies in general is just that they are such a tremendous source of comfort. Reading one is like, you know, eating your grandma's home-cooked meal or like getting a warm hug. They just, they have a happy ending, justice is always served, and this series is definitely at the top of my comfort reads list. It's one that I'm going to reread many, many times over, so we're just thrilled to have you today. Thank you. Of course. And like I said in in the introduction, Sid is arguably one of the greatest characters in the cozy mystery genre. So what inspired you to create him? You know, I keep wishing I had some kind of brilliant flash of inspiration story or a eureka moment, and I kind of don't. I was was trying to sell my second series, and it wasn't selling it was a long process, shall we say. Uh So I was thinking, well, if it doesn't sell, what do I do next? 
had a lot of paranormal mysteries. Paranormal cozies were, were you know, out there, and I liked reading them. So I thought, well, let's, what, what, what hasn't been done? It's like one of my best friends is the aforementioned Charlene Harris, so I wasn't going to do vampires. Uh-huh. Um, another good friend is Dana Cameron. She was doing werewolves, so nope, not touching that. <laughs> and I just started going through the list of, okay, wizards, nope, you know, angels, nope, all the different things that I could think of, witches, ghosts, uh, talking cats, talking ghost cats. All of the ones had been done. And somehow at one point I said, well, I could do a skeleton. No one's done that. And I immediately started hearing Sid's voice, and there he was. That's amazing. And I feel like when we think about authors writing books, like we uh, imagine them having like these this grand inspiration and writing with uh, the quote unquote muse. And sometimes like to write a book, you just have to like sit down and put words on the page and do the work. And I love that, you know, you're sharing that story with us. Generally speaking, ideas are kind of cheap, but even once you get an idea, you have to flesh it out. Although not with Sid so much, I didn't flesh him out. <laughs> Literally. So I loved learning about the adjunct professor lifestyle in these novels, and you seem to have a lot of insider information. So are you a professor yourself? I am not. I was never in academia. Uh, but my husband, when we first uh, started or first uh, got married, he was working on his PhD, and we assumed he was going to stay in academia. So I kind of learned a lot about that side of it then. But the real inspiration was our my friend Rhea Panisian, who is an adjunct professor, or was at that point, in psychology. And she was always moving, and she was always, you say, well, I'm teaching the, the intro courses because none of the other professors want them. And if it was a new course, then she would be reading a chapter ahead of the students just to keep up with them. Wow. Um, and at the time, I just thought it would be kind of fun. She'd be moving to a lot of different locations, and it'd be all college towns, which I, are one of my favorite settings, both, mm-hmm. both for living and for um, reading about. And then as I went into it more, I found out about, this is not all fun and games. They don't get paid well. They don't get benefits. They don't get offices or office hours or a lot of the benefits that academics have come to expect in their career. So it's kind of a tough life out there, which makes it great for, you know, for a character because you don't want it to be too fat and happy that you want to have to be a little bit struggling. Uh Yeah, that's so interesting. And you can definitely tell by reading the book that you did have somewhat of a personal connection and you did a lot of research just because the way that you described both like the the benefits and the challenges of the position were so detailed. It's funny at one point I, I showed parts about the the adjunct stuff to people I know who are adjuncts and others who weren't adjuncts but were in academia and the adjuncts are going yeah yeah actually it's worse I had to teach more courses than that and but the people who weren't adjuncts say, oh, it's not that bad. We don't treat them poorly. Right. We, we don't look down on them. And all the adjuncts are going, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> or maybe you don't, but others do. And, you know, they were just, they just really didn't realize it. Wow. Yeah. And we definitely get to see that through Georgia's perspective, which is so interesting. So can you explain for our listeners who maybe haven't picked up the series just yet, what the difference is then between an adjunct professor and, uh, say, a tenured professor? Well, generally, there's, I guess there's two kinds of career paths, in, or maybe three these days. Um, when you get on the adjunct, the tenure track, which means once you're, you're kind of working your way to it, you're doing publishing, you're teaching, and once you have tenure, it's really hard to fire you. It's like really super job security. It's like a contract. And sometimes it's, it's a lifetime deal. Um, so obviously that's when you feel safest to take chances, to do your research, and you're not 
you know, maybe you're not teaching as much, but there's not that much that can be done to you. It's very hard. Um, for, for better or for worse. Then there's contract teachers who are full instructors or professors, but they have a contract and they get benefits and they get, you know, it's, it's a job for them. And then you get the adjuncts and adjuncts are like temps, which is, oh, I need, you know, I'm, I'm at, they don't hire them for me for like a year or here's your job until you mess up. This semester by semester, we need a math teacher this semester. We need a history teacher. Oh, one of our psychology teachers is out on uh, maternity leave, so we'll bring in somebody just for the semester. And so they don't get the, you know, it's part-time. And they end up teaching at three, four, five. One woman said she was teaching at 10 colleges in a semester. Wow. In different places. Sometimes you're doing remote. Sometimes you're driving around. It's really hard work. And it's a lot of it's because, I mean, I don't want to wish well of the tenured professors, but as they're getting older, they're not retiring because it's harder to retire in the country right now. So that means there's no place for the new guys to get hired. Uh-huh. It's this weird kind of, you know, it's yay, they're living longer. Yay, they're doing good work. But boo, now we can't get other people. Right. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's it was so fascinating to learn more about the world of academia by reading this series. Um, when I was in college, my dream job was to become a literature professor. But I was um, almost 30 by the time I got my undergraduate degree. So I knew that was just going to be like way too long of a, of a road. Um, but getting to live that lifestyle vicariously through Georgia was a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, when you're a reader, you don't have to deal with some of those challenges that the adjunct professors do have to deal with. Not sleeping in your car. That's a big plus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of the characters in the book is Charles, and he, he's a, he squats. He doesn't have a fixed address. Instead, he'll squat in, you know, vacant buildings or unused offices or unused classrooms. And this was based on a story I read in the paper, somebody really? who had no place to live. They just kind of couch served or lived in their cow or lived in any place that was not being used on campus or slept in their car. And this was a full, this was a doctor. This was someone with a doctorate, a PhD in some subject. And this was how they were living their life, which just seemed, that just seems like not what one was expected. Where was all the stuff about you go to college, you go to high school, you know, you go to college, you get a good job. Right. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is just so wild to hear that that was based on a real story. I, I love Charles as a character. He was so just lovable and as a reader you're just absolutely rooting from for him and his story throughout this series um but yeah that i never would have guessed that was from a real situation yeah it was sad although i don't you know other, i don't know anything about the other the real person other than those details so right. the rest of the character is not from that but yeah the situation was I think we kind of glamorize the world of academia and we just assume that all professors are kind of uh, living high on the hog a little bit, you know what I mean? And uh, this definitely reading this series kind of sheds light on the fact that that's not always the case. Not always, sadly. And yet they still do good work, which is amazing. Yeah, they do. So you have some impressively detailed descriptions of human skeletons in this series. For example, at one, at one point we learn that if you lick a real human skeleton, your tongue will stick to it, uh, which was a very fun little tidbit of information. How did you research all of this? Um, I asked a lot of questions. As I mentioned Dana Cameron, who's done a lot of urban fantasy and werewolf stuff, but um, she's also a recovering archaeologist, or that's how she describes herself. <laughs> 
Um, and she did archaeology mysteries, but she was a, working in the field for many years. And she told me that that's one way to tell if it's, you know, is it a pla- when they find it, if it's a plaster cast, or more, more, more commonly they're dealing with bits and pieces of stuff. You know, pot shards and, and, you know, little bits of something like, is that bone? Is that a pot? What is that? And if you look, so they'll actually just kind of put it on their tongue. And if it sticks to it, oh, that's a bone fragment. Put that in the bone fragment bag. Oh, my goodness. It's like they must have strong stomachs in their jaw, line of work. <laughs> yes. um, but, yeah, that's how I learned that particular one. She also taught me a lot about how they handle um, uh, reference collections in uh, universities, and I actually saw that a little bit for myself when touring an art school for my daughter when she was looking for colleges. We toured an art school, and they showed their, their reference collection, which would be all these drawers of different things they could look at, including bones. And they, they catalog all that stuff, but the, the average person doesn't necessarily see it, but they use it. Mm-hmm. And so I learned about that background from them. And the rest, you know, I just hit the internet. I've got a few books about bones and the bone trade, which is a whole new world. Wow. That's fascinating. You know, I would um, love to be a fly on the wall of your web browser when you're researching <laughs> these books. I bet you Google some very interesting things. Did you hear about that woman who just this week, last week, was convicted of murdering her husband and they found all this stuff on her web browser about how to murder your husband? And she's saying, no, I was writing a book. And she did indeed write a book. Oh, my goodness. But apparently she also did indeed kill her husband. (laughs) She took the research a a step too far. You know, you don't have to research everything. (laughs) Exactly. It's uh, kind of like method writing, I guess. But uh, yeah, too much. (laughs) Too much for me anyway. Yeah. If I I, I was going to do that much work, I'd get a job. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I really enjoyed the specific rules that you created around how Sid works um, from the way that he sees and hears to the fact that he literally becomes unhinged when he's upset. So how did you approach that aspect of the novel? I kind of wanted him to have some sort of body language, which is hard without a body. So I figured the loosening joints would kind of play that part for me. And a lot of the things he does to slow expression are incredibly impossible and I just say, well, it's impossible, but he just did it. So what are you going to say? Uh-huh. Um, and basically my rule is if it works for the plot, if it's not contradicting something I've done before, which is very important in a series, not to contradict all of the rules you set up before. Um, and if it's funny, if it's funny, I'll do it. I love that. And, you know, as a reader, we do obviously have to suspend our sense of disbelief a bit with Sid. But I do think the fact that you do have those clearly defined rules for the way that he functions, it helps us to do that. And then you've also managed to make that set of rules into something that's also funny in a lot of scenes. So I just thought that development was brilliant. Thank you. So there was a point, I think, in book, maybe book three, and I was talking to a guy and don't get me wrong, he really liked the books, but he says, oh, yep, new book, you know, he develops a new power to save the day, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> no, no no more new powers, and that's where I kind of put paid on, it's like, anything he can do now, that's what he'll keep doing, uh-huh. but I won't give him anything else. Yeah, and I feel like you did a good job of developing his, the abilities that he does have slowly and methodically throughout the series, like, to me, it felt very logical and, you know, believable, so. I know, some of them he learned when, uh, spending more time with uh, George's daughter Madison Mm -hmm. because George has been with him his whole life and you know how it is you're just used to the way something is you don't think about changing it you need that outside perspective and Madison comes in it's like well why can't Sid do this it's like 
oh, I don't know. Can you do that? Yes, I can. No one ever asked before. Uh-huh. So that's how I kind of fit in his evolution was having the outside perspective. Yeah, I love that. And I, I did really also enjoy watching um, the relationship between Sid and Madison kind of develop throughout the series, too. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, since Sid doesn't have many relationships, the ones he has are very special to him. Yes. He doesn't go out in public a whole lot, as you might imagine. <laughs> yeah, but when he does, it's always a great time. Well, it's a good time for him anyway. <laughs> So in the novels, um, when Georgia has to pack Sid's entire skeleton somewhere, she usually carries him in a suitcase that's antelope pattern. Um, and Georgia describes the suitcase as looking more like bacon, which is such a very specific description. So is the bacon suitcase something from your real life or is that something that you just imagined? No, it's my it's my friend Charlene's old suitcase. <laughs> okay. You know, one of those hard cider ones. And I'm like... And I, you know, I'd seen it because we'd gone to conventions enough times and sometimes shared rooms. So I'd seen it many times. And I thought, why do you have a bacon pattern suitcase? She goes, it's not bacon, it's antelope. And I'm like, <laughs> it looks like bacon. She goes, well, I, she, she got it because it would be very easy to pick out when you're getting your la- luggage. You know, there's 7,000 brown bags or black bags and, you know, a handful of red or, or navy. But you don't see too many bacon bags. That's hilarious. And, you know, as, as cozy mystery readers, we're always, you know, the, the amateur sleuths while we're reading. So when you see like really specific descriptions like that, I'm always like, hmm, I wonder if that's a little Easter egg from the author's real life. So I love that that is. That's a great story. Uh, Charlene has no longer uses that bag. She's got another also easy to spot bag. But the bacon bag lives on in my memory. <laughs> it sounds very iconic. It was. So one of the many things I love about these novels are the curse words that Georgia and Sid use because they use them to replace, so they use human anatomy to replace actual swear words. So they'll say like coccyx or ossifying piece of sacrum. And I thought that was so clever. How did you come up with that? Well, there's always a debate among cozy writers and cozy readers about whether you use four letter words. Um, and a lot of people will say, you know, it, it's just a direct turnoff from them. Uh, with my first series, I did not use any, uh, there was the Laura Fleming series, and I used no cussing other than perhaps, you know, I'd say the S word or maybe the D word, maybe an H, but not, mm-hmm. not beyond that. Because you had to picture your great aunt Virginia reading them out loud to your grandmother. <laughs> yeah. That's because my great aunt Virginia read them out loud to my grandmother. Oh, I love that. I thought it was gone. So, you know, so I always had that in mind. With my second series, I wasn't, which was a Where Are They Now series, wasn't really aimed at a cozy audience or so I thought when I was writing it. And so in the first book, I dropped the F-bomb. Now, I did it for humorous effect, or at least it made me laugh, but I don't know. I had the mind of a junior high school student sometimes. <laughs> but or certainly the sense of humor. So I thought it was funny, but it was a real turn off to some people. And then when it was, went into paperback and they were clearly going for the cozy audience, I was like, you know, I've got to respect the cozy audience. Mm-hmm. If you're going to market to them, you know, meet their expectations. Their expectations are no F-bombs. So right. I toned down the profanity. With the Sith series, but, you know, people do cuss and they don't, not many people say jeepers and jinkies <laughs> and, you know, unless you're right. scooby Um So I wanted them to be able to cuss the way people do, but I figured this way I wasn't offending anyone and it fit the character. 
Yeah, I it's also it, it's also fun to do. It is fun. I thought it was so witty. I mean, I always like it when authors create their own slang or their own kind of language when for a specific book that they're writing, when it like develops a character or the world. And I definitely feel like the way that you did use the human anatomy for swear word did develop Sid. And it also was just like that fun little reminder, like we're reading a skeleton book and this is just one more fun element. It's not something that I, at least I don't have to worry about too many other people doing the same thing. <laughs> That's definitely true. I did find myself though, like after every time after I put these books down, like in my head, when I think curse words for a few days, like it's always like coccyx. <laughs> yeah, those That's words. a very satisfying one to say, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's almost rude, but not really. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect cuss word. I love it. <laughs> So all the characters in this series, they're very well developed, they feel like real people, and I especially enjoyed that while Georgia has an amazing family, their dynamic can be complicated at times. So do you have any advice for writers on creating well-rounded characters? Uh, almost every character I have is based somewhere in my head on a real person. I mean, not all of a person, um, but like some aspect of them. Mm -hmm. uh, my sister, uh, not so, not as much with some of the Laura's, or excuse me, with some of the uh, the family skeleton book, but with um, okay, with Charles, for instance. There's one real person and one fictional person that went into the way Charles dresses and how he talks. One was the character named Fiddler Green in Neil Gaiman's Sandman comic books. Oh, those are great. And one was a guy whose name I can't even remember. His name, you know, I hadn't seen him at conventions, and he always had the most dapper clothing on. And he just really stood out to me. It's like, well, he's going to look like that. And he's going to talk like Fiddler Green. So if you can bring some sense of, I don't know, reality or some, you know, something concrete, either from the real world or even from a very strongly imagined and fictional character, I think it helps. It doesn't matter if anyone else recognizes them because we don't all see the same things in the same people. Mm -hmm. Some people, you know, might see Fiddler Green and, and bring out some other aspect of his personality. And it would be just as firmly based is is Charles is, but they won't notice it. Um, it was more evident with my Laura Fleming series because those were all set in the North Carolina uh, mill towns where my family's from, with an, an extended family like my family, and so a lot of them were like based on my cousins and aunts and uncles, so I could picture them in my head very easily. And sometimes, and most of the time, people would recognize themselves, and sometimes they didn't. Mm -hmm. I, we, I found that if it's a nice person, a positive character, people will recognize themselves. If it's not a very nice person, they will not. Interesting. I, I could give an, example, uh, give an example, but that relative might listen to this, and I don't want to blow the gas. <laughs> yeah. No, we'll definitely we'll keep your secrets. Um, but yeah, I feel like writers are just some of the most keen observers of human behavior. And those things that you observe and the people that are in your real life do end up in your novel, whether intentionally or not. And uh, your characters just have such life that it's not surprising to hear that some of their characteristics are things that you've observed in actual people. Although I will say that we may be good observers of people that I personally am not very observant of the world at large. Um, my house, I live in Massachusetts, and my house has a detached garage. You have to kind of go down this uh, little curvy driveway to get the garage. You cannot see the garage from my house because there's this large rock in the way. Uh -huh. And I mean like two-story tile rock. Um, it turned out when my sister was visiting for less than a week, 
he noticed an awful lot of people driving up to this area where there were several detached garages in different vehicles, and he noticed all this stuff. And he managed to find out that there was a chop shop operating out of my detached garage. Oh, wow. Something I had not noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not making this up. Oh we goodness. went back there and like, why did that? And she said, why did those things? She would be sitting outside because she smokes and she didn't smoke in my house. Uh-huh. And and she's like, why don't they, those two guys keep coming by in different cars? And it's like, what two guys? <laughs> and so she's like pointing them out and going back and forth. And we go back there and there's like bits of coax cable where they've been stripping cars back there oh my goodness they had broken into my garage and put a stolen car in it <gasps> and you had no idea without a clue <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i may be observant of people but when it comes to the real word doop to doop right over my head yeah that's definitely uh one of the the dangers of living in imaginary worlds all the time in your yeah, head huh? pretty much and also i figure if there had just been a dead body in that car, I mean, I'm glad there wasn't a dead body in the car, but if there had been, it would have been a great start for the series. Right? I I mean, I feel like you've got the makings for a whole nother cozy mystery series right there. Well, at some point I'm going to use that. I just haven't figured out where yet. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see it because that's a great story. And actually it gets, it gets better. Well, I don't know. I, I thought it was funny. My husband was talking to one of the police officers. Uh-huh. And, um, don't know if I should name his name or not. I think he's still a police officer here in town. But anyway, when Steve mentioned to him, the, the rumor was that this back behind my house in that area was where they caught Albert Salvo, known as the Boston Strangler the most. Oh, wow. Who did indeed live in, in Malden, Mass, in a town that, in a house that no longer exists. Uh-huh. But he did live in my town, but that that's where they caught him. And Steve's mentioning this to the police officer. He says, oh, yes, I know that. He's my uncle. Oh, my goodness. What a small world. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could, you know, if I put that in a book, nobody would believe me. Right. That would stretch uh, the suspension of disbelief too much. <laughs> no, and it, it, because lots of stuff happened in real life that makes no sense whatsoever. Right. Oh, my goodness. That's wild. Well, I'm glad the police officer definitely took, you know, a different path with his life than his relative did. Definitely. Well, it was a large family, and he had, he had changed his name, too. So or, I guess it was, DeSalvo was... Was, they came over from Italy, of course, his family, and some uh-huh. of these different versions of the name. Right. It's like I had relatives who used Canon and some who used Kennedy, but they're all the same family. Yeah. No, my family came over from Italy and did the same thing as well. Yeah. I hope for different reasons. <laughs> 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 you know, I don't know when they decided to switch the name. I haven't heard. It's not that I, I wonder. That would be kind of like... Yeah, we're just going to change our names now. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> right, exactly. Distance ourselves from that. I think that's a fair approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the last book in the series, The Skeleton Stuffs a Stocking, came out in 2019. So do you have an ending for Georgia in mind? Like if she ends up getting tenure or ends up with Brownie? Or do you like to leave that ending up to the readers to imagine? Um, well, it's not the end of the series. I'm working on the next book. Yay. Um, I don't really. I mean, because if you get them too happy, there's no fun. And, you know, part of the fun is going from place to place. So I don't want to give her tenure. Mm-hmm. Um, she might end up with Brownie, but then, but that would be, that would be fun. And that, but he could, he could work with her. I wouldn't have to, it wouldn't have to uh, entirely redo the series. Right. I do have a way to get him worked out so they can all live together. 
without him being traveling. I've got things in mind, but um, I don't really have an endpoint like this is what I'm aiming towards. Um, I've got, I do have to have Sid and Brownie to get to know each other better. And that's actually what happens in a short story I've got coming out. The only uh, family skeleton short story so far will be in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine in in the early fall, I think. Oh, cool. So I this is Sid that. and Georgia and Brownie at a dude ranch. Oh, wow. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, what could go wrong? It's called The Skeleton Rides the Horse. <laughs> right? I, You know, when I wrote that question, I was secretly hoping that you were just going to say that you were going to write more books. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm You know, there's so, so much fun to write. Um, there's been, the reason it's been so long is there's like 3,000 reasons. A um, little bit of a dry spell in writing. My publisher has quit doing fiction. They're oh, not publishing okay. fiction, so that means... You know, we've got to look at a, a new way to get a book out, mm-hmm. which will probably be independent publishing through my um, literary agency. They have their own imprint that they've helped people bring books back in print. Oh, cool. Like my old backlist books were not, we had never sold, there were no ebooks because it was, because I'm old, and it was before ebooks were a thing. Mm-hmm. So we brought all those ebooks out through my agency, and they've done that with a lot of their clients. So we're looking to do that with the, the next said book. So it's so so the publishing woes, um, plus just a little bit of a dry spell in writing, and then a lot of personal issues. Um, mm-hmm. I, my father was very ill, um, then he died, I'm and, sorry. and then I've been the executor ever since. So uh-huh. it's like, wow, that takes a lot of work. That's going to go into a story someday. Yeah, I had no yeah. idea executing had it required so much paperwork, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine how it would have been before the days of. You know, where you can look up bank statements online and email them and all that good stuff. Right. And just like so much of your emotional bandwidth, I'm sure, is taken up by that. That doesn't leave room for writing. And for for me, I found that the whole whole pandemic has gone about 50-50 with writers. About half of us have written like crazy because we couldn't go anywhere. And we was like, whoop, I can write. It's lunchtime. I'll finish another book by dinner. Uh And the other half of us are like, I can't write. I'm too stressed. Right. Unfortunately, that's the half I was in. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not that as bad as I was, and it's going slowly, but it is going. And I'm writing one with Sid and Georgia at a uh, a summer camp for live action role play. Oh, that sounds so fun! So it's got. I don't. I keep going back and forth. It's, it's going to be the skeleton verbs and noun. I just don't know which one. Uh-huh. Yet. Oh, I love so that. So I'm working on that, and it's it's been a bit of a challenge, but it's fun. Yeah, and you know, I am thrilled to hear that we have more books coming out, of course, and I'm also really happy to hear that you're taking care of yourself and writing slowly. I think sometimes readers, uh, we love our books so much that we can sometimes put a little too much pressure on our authors, so um, we will happily wait for the next installment of Sit in Georgia, and it's, it's, I'm sure it's just going to be wonderful when we get it. I appreciate it. It, 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 it. it can be stressy, but, it, you know, when people say, so when's the next one coming out? But it also makes sure that even though it's been several years, that they haven't been forgotten. And that means a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's I, so many books out there. So many good books out there. There are. And I still see yours um, in every, because there's a lot of, like, community-run Cozy Mystery Awards. And yours still come up in, like, every single one of them. So they're definitely favorites in the Cozy community. That makes me very happy. Yeah. 
So art. It is not your traditional cozy for sure. I mean, it is and it isn't your traditional cozy. Right. Like it, it definitely follows all the rules of the traditional cozy, but it's unique. And I feel like the writing voice is also very unique. It's very smart. It's very witty. Um, so it definitely stands out in the genre while also giving you all the warm, fuzzy, cozy feelings that we all look for when we read these books. It's funny, I don't think writers always know what it is they're going to do well when they start writing. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the line, I realized my thing was I could do, I mean, I don't want to brag, it sounds awful, but I, I do poignant well. Yes, you do. And it's like I did a, I was doing a werewolf story and I made it poignant. And it's like, how do you, and it's, I don't even know, it just ends up that way, whether I want it to or not. It's like, that feels, when I'm writing it, that's what feels right. That's what feels satisfying to me. Uh-huh. Well, and it makes for a very satisfying read for us as readers as well. Um, I always walk away from the books just feeling, uh, I feel lighter, but like I also went on a full journey with characters and saw character growth and development. Um, so it's, they always just touch my heart, every single one of them. Thank you. So when I was writing the uh, stuff, the stocking, and without any spoilers, there is a bit of a twist towards the end. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's a double twist. There are two different twists, um, one on kind of the mystery level and one on the personal level. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm going through the, you know, writing it. I usually, my husband and I talk about what I'm working on a lot. He's my first reader. And I usually tell him what's, who the murder is going to be and what's going to happen. And I wouldn't tell him this time because I wasn't sure it was going to work. Uh-huh. And so I get to the end and I, you know, wrote those last two chapters with the two twists. And I said, take a look at this and see what you think. And I'm like sitting, he's uh, where I sit, my back is to where he is. But I could hear him back there reading and I hear this, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, okay, the first twist got him. <laughs> and he said, okay, now about the next twist. So I wait a few minutes and he's a fast reader. Just a few minutes later, I hear sniffling. It's like, got him. <laughs> Because <laughs> that I was just what that. I was going for. Yes, that's so great. Yeah, I definitely, definitely had some tears at the end in, in, a, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, happy tears are good. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. So our listeners do love cozy book recommendations from this show. So I thought it would be fun if we each leave them with a cozy mystery book recommendation. So Lee, do you want to go ahead and give us one of your recommendations? It's not it's not your traditional cozy, but there was one I read recently. I thought it was just delightful. Uh-huh. It was by an author named T, just the, the first initial T, Kingfisher. Oh, yeah. And it's called The Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking. That's a great title. And it's a, it's, 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 in a, uh, it's in a fantasy world, obviously. And it's a woman who's got a little, uh, actually a young woman, got a little magic with baking. And sentient... Uh, gingerbread people are some of the funniest things I've read in a long time. Oh my goodness, that sounds hilarious. Oh, and they were, they were just, it was just charming. Yeah, I definitely am going to be adding that to my TBR as soon as we're done today. That sounds like so much fun. Um, and then a book that I actually wanted to recommend as well uh, is Hold On For Beer Life by Ellie Alexander. And it's actually a novella in her Sloan Crow series, which is like a beer-themed cozy mystery series set in Leavenworth, Washington, um, which also happens to be one of my favorite real-life locations. Oh. And yeah, it's such a cool town. Um, it's like a, a German-themed, like Bavarian town up in Washington. 
Nice. Yeah. And, you know, the really cool thing about this novella is that Ellie was previously publishing her books with St. Martin's, and then the publisher decided not to continue with the series. Um, but Ellie actually got the rights back and is now also self-publishing them going forward. So it's this is the first novel uh, or novella in the new installment of books that are going to be coming out. I mean, that's, that's where I'm going to be is to be... Yeah, it's hard to know you have, they, if, if something's going to do well in self-publishing, but yeah. we're going to give it a try anyway. Yeah, and I, I think you both have a lot of fans that are definitely going to want to support you and have more books. So I am so excited to uh, hear more news, and I'll definitely be getting that short story when it comes out. I'm sure you'll post about it on your social media accounts, right? Absolutely. Okay, wonderful. So we'll definitely be sure to share them through the the podcast as well and let everybody know when that's out because I'm sure our listeners are going to want to pick it up. Thank Um, you. Yeah, of course. And before we sign off, Lee, do you want to let everyone know just how they can connect with you online? Uh, Because I've got the two names, I've got two websites. I've got TonyLPKellner.com, not very imaginative, but easy to remember. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, for, for Lee, it's LeePerryAuthor.com. And if you go to LeePerryAuthor.com, you can see animated videos about Sid that my daughter, the animator, did. Oh, your daughter did those. I was just going to mention those. I was watching them today um, just because I was making sure that I was all prepared for the interview. And I found those. And those are so cute. Thank you. I'll, I'll tell Maggie. Sid. Maggie's the animator. And then the one I did for the sleuthing, I want a sleuthing skeleton for Christmas. Uh-huh. My daughter, Valerie, did the singing. Oh. My goodness that's so neat I love that your family's kind of like pitching in and, and contributing to Sid and George's story that's so fun they definitely do and they also for since I'm writing about teenagers and younger with with Madison mm-hmm. they're the ones I go to to find out what kids their age would know in the uh the first book there's a scene at an anime convention right and I wanted Sid to go dressed in, in, in doing cosplay but I'm like what, what kind of skeleton characters and they're the ones who said, uh, you got to be from the soul leader. Yeah, this is the character. It's like, okay. That's awesome. I wondered how you knew so much about manga and anime. So that definitely makes sense. Yeah, I steal from them as much as I can. Well, it's it's working because Madison is, is a fantastic character. So she's got that young, authentic voice. So keep it up. We We love reading about Madison's adventures and all her hobbies. Well, the next, since the next, the live action role play camp or LARP camp, that's all from Madison and it's all stolen from my daughter, Valerie, who uh-huh. went to LARP camp for many years. So. Really? That's so fun. I've always wanted to do that. I'm, I feel like I might be a little too self-conscious, but I want to try it. And I've tried it a few times in, in, in less elaborate days than some of the programs they do now. Uh-huh. And I just, I just don't have it in me to do that kind of role play. It's interesting. I can do it on paper all day long and have a great time, but not in person. Yeah, I know. It's funny. I feel like a lot of writers have a, are similar where it's harder to like uh, speak out loud, but we can write the words down and it's harder to act things out, but on the page, it's completely fine. Yeah. I, we do enjoy playing D and D. I can do, I can do that, but out in real life, LARPing is that's, that's a little intimidating. I met my husband playing D&D. Did you really? I did. My our, my boyfriend introduced us. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. The, the first night I met him, we were playing a Christmas themed dungeon in my, uh, in my own living room. Oh. I, I broke up with the other guy, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> it seems like ago. it worked out <laughs> great. I love that. D&D, bringing people together. It does. And we do other D&D couples. Uh-huh. 
That's so fun. Do you, do you still play? Not so much anymore. Um, our daughters do though. So we're living vicariously. Okay. Oh, that's neat. I love that story. I just had a lot of the same energy that went into creating characters and playing the games I use in my own work instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't have to rely on dice, darn it. I can make things happen the way I want it to. <laughs> exactly. You can choose. You don't have to wait for the DM to give you permission. Yeah, I don't need a critical 20. I've got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it has just been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. It's always such a treat getting to talk to my favorite authors. So this has truly just been so much fun. And I would love to have you on the show again um, when you do have more stories with Sid and Georgia coming out. Okay, I will put you on my list. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you again. Uh, And listeners, thank you for tuning in. We will be back with another episode of Get Cozy Podcast very soon. That's all for today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Get Cozy Podcast to see which authors we'll be hosting in our upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy reading and stay cozy. Stay cozy.